Hi, welcome to the Faces of Leadership podcast presented by the Zac. I'm Scarlett Zhao from the Zac Class 2021. Together with my cohorts, we explore how the definition and profile of leader in PR has evolved over time. In the next few episodes, we speak with a variety of PR leaders from different backgrounds to get their thoughts on different aspects of leadership. In today's episode, Future Leaders, you'll be listening to Whitney Simon and myself talking to Aru Sudaman, CEO and editor in chief at Provoke Media. Having lived and worked in the East and the West, Arun shares his views on trends that he's seeing in the PR and comms industry and progressions in leadership. Enjoy listening. Hi everyone. I'm Whitney Simon. I'm Scarlett Jow, and we are your hosts for today's Faces of Leadership podcast. We have a very special guest, Arun Sudaman, who is the CEO and editor in chief at Provoke Media. And during today's discussion, we'll be talking around the current trends we're seeing with today's generations of PR and comms leaders, and the skills the next generation will need in order to be effective in these roles. So, as I said before, Arun Sudaman is the CEO and editor in chief at Provoke Media. In this role, Arun oversees Provoke Media. Global content offering, including its analysis and insight into reputation, public relations, and communication trends and issues. Prior to joining the Holmes Report, Arun spent more than seven years with Haymarket Media in Hong Kong, Singapore, and London. Before Haymarket, Arun spent one year at public relations firm Weber Shandwick during its tumultuous mergers with Weber and BSMG. During his career as a journalist, he has appeared on BBC News and has also contributed to the Guardian and the South China Morning Post. Where he began his career as a business reporter in 2015, Arun became the youngest ever inductee into the ICCO Hall of Fame. Talk about amazing and intimidating, like Jesus! So so excited to have you on the show today, Arun. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really hopeful it shouldn't be too intimidating,、um, <laughs> because you know, especially with the last one, I think. There was just a lot of old people that had been inducted. Really, that was the lesson there. But anyway, anyway, I digress. Please, let's go. Let's. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So amazing. Yeah. So typically, when we do this podcast, we always like to ask our guests about a PR campaign over the past month or past year that's really resonated with you, whether in a positive way or a negative way, and why that was or why that is the case. I, I don't know if it's cheating to have two, but I can be really quick. The first. Is it's because I'm not really sure the first one is actually counts as a PR campaign. It's the Airbnb Ukraine kind of initiative. I think Airbnb didn't actually start it. It kind of happened organically,、mm. and of course now they've sort of jumped on it. And and it, that's to get people to book Airbnb rooms or houses in Ukraine and as a way to get money to people in Ukraine. I think that's that's a really nice example of something that has brought really strong public relations for for Airbnb and and also of course does a lot of good. Uh, and then the other one, just briefly touching, is that I really liked was the social media boycott last year, which I think was in the last twelve months,、mm-hmm. by sports people in the UK to protest at racism on social media channels. And so I think they boycotted various platforms for, I think it was three days. I can't remember. I thought that was really well done, really powerful. Maybe hasn't had the impact we were hoping for, but then I guess it won't until the platforms take more action.、Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Sorry. So I picked two instead of one. Hope you, hope you can forgive me.、Uh, of course, we'll make an exception for you, Arun, always. But I think you're right. Those campaigns and 
even just those comms moments were really powerful, especially with Airbnb and what they're doing to support Ukrainian refugees. Yeah, that's that's great. We have a lot of really great questions for you, so we're just going to kick it off. We kind of want to break up this podcast into chapters. So we want to talk a little bit more about your journey because as we detailed in your bio, you've done a little bit of everything across the comms spectrum. So just want to learn a bit more about that background and how it's gotten you to the point this point in your career today. So I guess if you could tell us a bit more in depth about your PR and comms career journey, that'd be great. Sure. I mean, the really glib answer is that my PR and comms career journey only lasted a year <laughs> at Weber Shandwick, as it's put in my bio during its tumultuous mergers. After 12 months, everyone from one side of the business during that merger was was let go. And that was kind of the end of my PR career as such. So I, I had been a journalist before, and then I went back to journalism after. But what I did is I went back to journalism that focused on PR and comms, although initially I was focusing on advertising as well. I was working for Campaign Asia at Haymarket and I worked for them in Hong Kong and Singapore. I covered every, you know, advertising and marketing. But as part of that, I was also editor of PR Week Asia. So, you know, I was covering the public relations industry, sector, dis- discipline, whatever you call it, in a, f- a fair amount of detail in Asia, then moved to London at the end of 2008 started working for PR Week UK, of course, also owned by Haymarket, as an associate editor. And I was also contributing to Campaign UK as well at the same time. And then after about 18 months with Haymarket, a company called The Homes Report came along. Poor Homes in particular, there wasn't much else to The Homes Report at that point in 2009, I think, when we started talking. And Paul really wanted me to come on board. There weren't that many people who had covered the PR industry from a global perspective, which was really important to Paul and, and very important to me as well. I mean, it was an opportunity to, I suppose, kind of get in on the ground floor of something. I knew we could really build it into something a lot bigger. It gave me the opportunity to take on ownership and leadership and all the things that, as a journalist, are quite hard to get to, especially within conventional media companies um, and, frankly, as, as a person of color within conventional media companies. So then I joined The Homes Report and then it's just been so much fun. It's been really crazy the last 11 years. We've gone from the Homes Report to Provoke Media. We've grown from whatever we were, two or three people, to 11 now. We've expanded in many ways. But most importantly, I think we've built a a business that I think is capable of of driving change in the industry and is is providing a, a good place to work for the people that we employ as well. So, yeah, it's been quite a journey, but it's been a lot of fun. It's been huge challenges. Anything entrepreneurial, I think there's always that aspect to it. But can't forget, I think, coming back to the PR and comms angle, all of it is driven, you know, by our coverage of the PR and comms sector, our insight into that sector, our research, our analysis, and our willingness, I think, to ask questions that hopefully provoke people. Mm. And so, Arun, you've done PR, you've done marketing, you've done journalism, and you've done so many roles and lived in different places. Can you tell us about your most challenging career moment or moments? Uh, we'll allow to. <laughs> I mean, every day is like another cha- another challenge. Um, it was hard. This question I found hard because I was like, I didn't. There's so many. I mean, where to where to start? And yet, I don't see any of them as like huge challenges. They're like a mountain range of challenges. I feel rather than mm. one massive peak. Probably the most challenging moment was moving to the UK at the end of 2008. That was when the global financial crisis was just kicking in and it wasn't a great time to be moving from east to west. Everything seemed to be moving the other way. I didn't have 
any kind of a job lined up. I wasn't able to secure anything full-time within Haymarket. My wife and I, we had a three-year-old, I think, at that point. So it was a very much a step into the unknown, moving to London where I didn't... I had a few contacts, but I wasn't, you know, well-known. And the UK is a, a big journalism market, but relevant experience, if your relevant experience is from Hong Kong, then they don't necessarily take that, that seriously, let's say. Mm. So I really had to prove myself all over again, having already risen to relatively high position at Campaign Asia. And I couldn't get a full-time position for a very long time, for 18 months. I did wow. a lot of freelancing. I was a contractor at Haymarket. I even had a contractor badge, which was fun. <laughs> but it was great in a way. It was like really, I, I learned so much during that period and it was kind of liberating. I worked every day though. I worked every day, weekdays and weekends. Uh, I would not advise anyone to work that hard. But it was exhilarating in a, in a way at that stage of my life. So it was, it was a challenge, but maybe it was one I needed, right? Because it really took me out of my comfort zone. Yeah, for sure. As you know, the focus of this podcast is really, and the focus of Zek is helping fame, PR, and comms pros to get into leadership or find out what leadership means to them. So one question that we always like to ask our guests is, what does leadership mean to you? I, I think, yes, we have a, a definition in a dictionary, but I think depending on who it is, it's a bit different. So we'd love to know what does leadership mean to you? And again, at what point in your career did you start to really feel like a leader? I don't really feel like a leader. It's weird because I never really thought of myself as someone who was going to become a leader. Mm. It just kind of happened because when I moved to the Homes Report and ended up in this position where I had lots of people like reporting to me and looking to me, I suppose, for leadership. I don't really think of myself that much as a, uh, as a leader, but then maybe that's because you know, a lot of the leadership I had been exposed to during the first half of my career was very much that kind of old school autocratic leadership mm -hmm. and I think that's not me at all that's you know and I think you, we can talk more about this but I think if you are going to be a leader you have to be you know genuine and you have to remain yourself right rather than trying to be something else I think leadership if I had to define it and I don't know if, if this is the correct definition I haven't looked it up or anything like that but I think for me at least it's just about helping and serving other people whether that's within your company or or outside it because you're there, I suppose, fundamentally, you're there to make final decisions where required and to perhaps set an example and a vision. But all of that is in service of other people within your business or, or without your business. I really think it is about listening and, and just seeing how you can help people do their jobs better and, and lead more interesting, fulfilling lives. I want to add a question to that. So you lived in the East and in the West, and now you're living in the East again. Is there any differences you see in leadership in the East and the West? Yeah, definitely. Especially in East Asia, where I spent most of my life in Hong Kong, you see more of the autocratic leadership style, more hierarchical, although that is changing. In the West, uh, particularly in some European countries, you get much more of a flat, consensual culture where the leader is maybe first among equals rather than the kind of king or queen of the company. Now I'm in India, again, you see far more of a autocratic leadership style. The CEO is definitely placed on, on more of a pedestal. So yeah, I have seen that, but I think you can overestimate those trends, right? There's always companies and businesses and organizations where the, the opposite is true in, in, in any market or in any region. Right. And I think because of younger generation that's, that's coming in to many companies, we're starting to see those changes all across the world, irrespective of, 
of region and country. Do you think you know in the last talking about changes in the last few years, COVID is definitely the biggest factor to many industries. And what do you think how COVID has impacted the PR and comms industry, and how COVID has affected the leadership in the industry? It's a good question. It's a really big question. So I'll try not to. Go too in depth, but so in terms of COVID impacting the PR and comms industry, I mean, many many ways. It's hard to think of an aspect that hasn't been affected. It's probably most importantly, it's reminded everyone of the value of public relations and communications. It's elevated the value of the function. It's never been more important for companies to communicate empathetically and effectively with all of their stakeholders. It's reminded everyone that stakeholder capitalism is more important than. You know, just pure profit-focused motives, and then there's been other aspects like the rise of hybrid working, which in turn has seen what we describe as as the the electrification of employee engagement. So, from a kind of discipline and field that was maybe less fashionable to one that is now critical and crucial, and and maybe the most important for any organization. Culture has become so important for both. Corporates, but in particular for agencies, it's it's now the most important thing for them versus other aspects of the business, for example, sales or intellectual property. Digitization has gone from being a nice to have to a must have、mm. in a in a kind of hybrid or virtual world. In terms of leadership, I think what we've seen is now it's accelerated. I mean, a lot of things with COVID actually, I think, accelerated trends that were already taking place, taking root before the pandemic, and. With leadership, I think what we've seen is an acceleration in the rise of the empathetic CEO. So, moving away from that kind of autocratic alpha CEO template to someone who's more collaborative, where hierarchies are less rigid, where it's more about listening to the people within your business or organization, and just being more human. We see more CEOs on Zoom calls with their dogs. Right, <laughs> and it's just a really good reminder that they're just human beings like you and me, and they're not these like deities that have the answers to everything. I, th- I think that was a really un- unhealthy model of leadership, and I think that's one of the the benefits that have emerged from you know a very difficult period. Right.、Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I loved what you said about how we're finally starting to see our leaders or CEOs becoming more humanized, and I think. When I was younger in my career, for me, a leader was someone who always had the answers, right? And so I never thought that I could be the leader because, even at 30 years old, I'm like I don't know what's going on. But I think COVID has made me realize that most of the time, the best leaders are the ones that are happy to be like, you know what? I actually don't have the answer to this, but well, when I find out, we'll work together to find out. You know? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, I, I'm I'm 45, and and. You won't have any more answers, I don't think, <laughs> when you get to my age. But I think there has been this idea that the leader has to have an answer, and、mm-hmm. and you have to get comfortable with saying that you don't know, and that actually maybe the person who's asked the question, they often have the answer, but they're asking you, really, for the permission to provide their own answer, and so you kind of have to just sort of roll with it in that way. I think、But、definitely this idea that. Leaders or CEOs or people in leadership positions have all the answers. Is I think counterproductive to a healthy organization. And so you talked a little bit about we're humanizing CEOs. We're seeing that PR has become a more valued function as a result of COVID. Are there any other key trends that you're seeing in terms of PR and comms leaders? I know you talked a lot about culture and things like that, but 
anything else or even within that realm, any trends you're seeing? So a couple of things. So for example, on the agency side, and this goes for all kinds of businesses, but for agency leaders as well, I think the people that work within a business, the talent, let's call them, they want to know where their leaders stand on big questions, big issues, whether political or otherwise. They want to know the whole person behind the title. And employees themselves want to be their whole selves at work, right? And they want to engage in every aspect of operations. So I think that's a really quite a big shift from, you know, I think in the past leaders would shy away from these kinds of situations where they had to proclaim a position or take, an, take a position on an issue. And now it's not taking a position is often more risky than taking one. Because when you don't take one, you're saying something, right? You know, you're, you're also yeah. saying something. And I think that's a big change. And then I think the ability to just move quickly, I think, to shift things rapidly. Things change by the week at the moment, right? And you have to kind of keep in touch with what your, your people need and want and their expectations regularly. Because they will let you know. They will tell you now. They're not afraid to, I don't think. And you just have to respond really quickly, I think. It's not about changing your mind or U-turning or flip-flopping all the time. But it's, it's just about being close to what's happening, making sure you're getting feedback and information and not being afraid of it. I think that's one thing that people are now far more willing to embrace that level of disruption mm. and maybe even that loss of control. It's still difficult, I think, for, for a lot of leaders, but I think it's really important to do that because without that, you run the risk of losing touch with the people that are, are actually you're relying on for the success of your organization. Thanks, Erin. The next question we have, is, I think you kind of already <laughs> touched on that. So is there any leadership methods or skills of the past, old school ones, that you think worth bringing back or people tend to overlook it, but it's still valuable? It's funny because, so first of all, I should say, I think I'm quite progressive. I think if things have become obsolete, there's a reason for it. But yeah. being in India, it's quite interesting to see some of the, like, the regard in which leaders are held and people will bring them their tea uh, like there's a tea bearer sometimes and you don't even get addressed on a first name basis wow. and people will call you sir and I don't mind a little bit of that I, I don't know I mean it's, uh, it's it's quite attractive right but ultimately I'm not sure it is attractive but I don't think these things really work right if you if you're trying to build a business where everyone has a voice and everyone feels like they are like fully empowered within the culture. I think maybe there could be a little less hand-holding. I do think that's something that has come in in the last probably 10 to 20 years. There's, there's, there's a fair amount of hand-holding and spoon-feeding, and I understand why, but I think for us you know, at Provoke, we've always tried to build a sort of culture where people feel like they should just get on with it, and, and if they make a mistake, then they can ask for forgiveness rather than waiting to ask for permission. So I don't know if that's something that could be brought back. But yeah, a tea bearer would be nice. Mm, yeah, definitely make uh, some people's life easier. Exactly. <laughs> I'm putting that on my list of what I want as a leader. <laughs> so you've talked to so many PR and comms leaders in your career, and you've seen the progress of the leadership skills. What skill do you think will be most important for the next generation? of PR comms leaders in the industry? I'm not sure this actually changes, actually. I think the most important mm. skills are the skills that probably have been most important for a long time. And so I would say empathy, curiosity, listening, storytelling. I think it is becoming far more important to understand business and numbers. Mm. 
I think that's always been the case, but I think it's become even more of the case in today's environment. I think being able to understand global issues and geopolitics is also becoming really important. But the fundamental skills, I think, are probably more or less the same, right? I think empathy is really important. It makes everyone better communicators. It makes them better listeners. It means that you're curious, and ultimately it means you can tell better stories and engage better with all all of your different stakeholders. It makes me wonder, when you lead a team and you work with a number of people, but when you're looking to bring on new leaders onto your team or working new leaders, are there any specific traits or qualities that you look for in particular? Diversity of thought, first and foremost, is really important. It's hard because I think people instinctively, I mean, we we know all the reasons, right, where you kind of end up hiring people that think like you and coincidentally, they also look like you. So I think it is really important to get diversity of thought amongst leaders. And of course, one of the ways of doing that, one of the the most powerful way of doing that really is to look for demographic diversity, right? Which of of which there isn't enough amongst leaders in, in any business. And then that goes for age as well, I think. I think younger leaders are really important. I think we need we need more younger voices. It's about having a, a diversity and range of opinions and hearing from often dissenting or challenging points of view. Mm. Because any leader doesn't have all the answers. It's about surrounding yourself, I think, with lots of good sources of information and, and good p- people who have interesting opinions that, that maybe are totally different from yours because they have a totally different cultural experience right so that's what i look for it's much easier to say than to do though i will say but it's not impossible and then the other thing i would say is i think these so-called softer skills which i I dislike that phrase a little bit because it it implies that they're somehow less important and i don't think they are those softer skills i think are becoming more important from a leadership perspective your emotional intelligence your empathy your ability to relate to different people, your adaptability in different cultural environments, I think are more important than being able to read a balance sheet or understand commercial law or whatever. You can learn harder skills, I think, relatively easily, but I think actually learning softer skills is much harder. I totally agree. So this has been a really amazing conversation. One question that we always like to ask our guests as we conclude the podcast is just, What advice would you give to another PR comms person who's looking to become a leader in the space or who's looking to just enter the space more generally? I mean, first of all, take everything I say with a massive pinch of salt, (laughs) I think. Um, That would be my first piece of advice. I think, you know, mind the gap that whatever you say in anything, right, the rhetoric, I think, has to match reality. So I think it's, it's important to always be aware of that. I see a lot of people on LinkedIn and all of the social platforms. There's a lot of grandiose posturing and, and, and all kinds of stuff. And I think I find it hard to believe that matches the actual reality of what people's lives are really like. So I think that's important because I think you kind of have to be genuine and authentic. You have to be yourself. That's another piece of advice. I would say don't try to be someone else. Don't look at another leader and think, or another person or anyone and, and think you have to, to be them. You have to be yourself. Anyone... I think, can become a leader or move into that kind of a role. But don't compromise your own values or your own instincts. And don't take any of it too seriously, I would say, as well. I mean, it's just, you know, enjoy life. That's really important. And I think people can get really consumed by the pursuit of titles and and baubles and leadership positions. And I understand it's important to 
you, you need to you know work work hard and have a fulfilling life but there's a lot to life and I, I don't think it's worth killing yourself just in pursuit of a good title or a leadership role wise words wise words well, thank you very much Aaron. we're so glad to have you on the podcast today and uh, hope you enjoy the warm weather where you are <laughs> yeah thank you it's been such a pleasure thank you both thanks scarlett thank you whitney yeah it's really i really enjoyed this and really really thought-provoking questions this podcast is brought to you by the zec the zec from bme pr pros is delivered in partnership with provoke media and the chattered institute of public relations the zec is the first leadership scheme for uk-based black Asian, mixed race, and ethnic minorities PR and comms pros. The podcast series has been produced by Anna East Merlin, Ben Roberts, Kenan Mann, Maria Adideran, Maxim Myers, Sabrina Keppel, Whitney Simon, and myself, Scarlett Zhao, with the help of Content is Queen Studio. If you want to connect with us to continue the discussion, visit emeprpros.co.uk or reach out to us on LinkedIn.